Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 
10. Romans chapter 10 tonight. I uh, share a couple things with the singles, like I say, every week, and they seem to enjoy them today, um, most of them. I told them how my dad said to me, son, I want you to know you're, you're, you were adopted. I shouted, you're kidding, really? He said, yes, get your things together, they're coming to pick you up in an hour. <laughs> I told him how I have an EpiPen. My friend gave it to me as he was dying. It seemed very important to him that I have it. <laughs> Thank you, student loans, for getting me through college. I don't think I can ever repay you. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while there's a few good ones out there. And then again, somebody might say, those were pretty morbid. I don't know about that. Romans chapter 10. I want you to look at verse 13 tonight. We're going to read just a couple of verses. Notice it says in chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I want to stop right there, and I really want to draw our attention to that first portion there. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's an interesting phrase there, and you figure it's being set up here now as we're discussing and dealing with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, how in the world are they going to call on Him of whom they have not believed? How are they going to do that? They can't. Why would they call on someone they don't believe in? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? There's no way they can possibly believe in a God that they've never even heard about. That makes no sense, right? He goes on to say, I mean, and how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I mean, someone's got to tell them, right? And again, if we can get kind of caught up on that idea of the preacher, you know, and say, well, it's the pastor's job to witness. It's the pastor's job to tell. It's the pastor's job to go throughout the world and make sure the gospel's given. But the truth is, is that the preacher's a proclaimer, and that's basically what everyone that names the name of Christ ought to be. A proclaimer. You can preach the gospel. You can teach the gospel. You can give the gospel. And so can I. How shall they preach except they be sent? And again, we certainly look at our missions program and say, well, now that is exactly what we're trying to do. Send people with the gospel to tell others about him. See, the gospel is rooted in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. It's not enough to simply get saved to an ideology. That's not what we're being saved to. We're being saved to a Savior. I mean, the Savior saves us. It's a person that we're being saved by. 
It's not to a philosophy. It's not to some kind of, as we said, ideology. It's not a set of beliefs. Being a Christian is not about following a set of rules or guidelines. But listen, don't be so ignorant to think that belonging to a father, he will not have some rules in his home. How sad is it in Christianity today? How deplorably sad is it? That we've gotten the idea that somehow, because we're saved by grace, there are no responsibilities towards sinlessness. We can live however we want. We can do whatever we want. We can listen to whatever we want. That Daddy does not have a right to tell us how to live our lives or to place any rules or guidelines in our life. How ridiculous is it to think that the child in your home is permitted to live however they choose No, they're your son, they're your daughter, and therefore they will abide by your rules. You don't think God has some? Just because in our culture we've chosen to dismiss those rules under the guise of grace. Oh, that legalism. So legalistic. You're so legalistic, Father, because you have rules in your home. If that's the definition of legalism. Which it isn't, of course. The biblically ignorant believe somehow that legalism is a set of rules by which we try to protect our convictions. I've got some principles in the Word of God that provide me with some convictions, and then I place some standards in place to, 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 uh, to protect my convictions. What's wrong with standards if they're protecting our convictions, which are rooted in biblical principle? There's nothing wrong with that. So we find here, and again, that has nothing to do with the message, but I'm just on that. I'm just a little bit fed up with it these days. I hear it way too much. And I want to tell you something. If there are Baptist churches that are faltering and failing today, it's because they have bought into that junk. And they've thrown their music standards out the window. They've decided to throw their praise teams up on the stage. They decided to say, well, it's not about how you dress. It has nothing to do with you and how you, what you say or how you live or how you act. It's all about your heart. As we found today, God wants your body too. There's something more to it than just your little heart. That was fun. Thank you, preacher. We appreciate your honesty, your sincerity, and your biblical perspective. And someone says, that's not the Bible. Then you prove me wrong. Dig into that book. Show me where he's thrown out those Ten Commandments, those moral standards that he had. Show me where that, because we're no longer under law, that we can commit adultery now. Show me that we're no longer under law, that we can steal now. Go ahead, show me that in the Bible, would you? It's not there, because God still has a moral law. It's interesting that he restates every single one of the Ten Commandments with the exception of one. And that's the Sabbath. Because we meet the first day of the week. That's interesting, isn't it? We don't throw out the old for the new in the sense that we still have responsibility. Every single business has standards. Every school has a standard. Every airline has standards. Every restaurant has standards. Every home has standards. They're not all the same, but they're standards nonetheless. And don't allow yourself to be intimidated by somebody that has standards. 
just doesn't like your standards. Keep your standards. Don't throw them out the window. God hasn't changed, even though our culture is. And unfortunately, the church is often changing as well. So be careful. That's just a little warning, I guess. The Bible says we're to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So we see here in Romans 10, we're talking about faith here. How are we going to get this faith? And what kind of faith is it? What kind of faith do you have? I believe there's a faith, a kind of faith that we need today. And I just want to share three aspects of faith today that we ought to have. If I said, okay, what kind of faith do you have? I'd say, okay, here's the three kind of faiths that you, you certainly need. Now, there might be more, of course, but I can only figure out three that start with B, so I had to stick with those three. Got to keep it literated. So you might know a bunch of other ones as well. But I think these ones will cover the basis pretty well. What kind of faith do we have? Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll consider that. Father, we come to you. We need you tonight. And Lord, how sad our faith is in many cases. It's producing nothing in our lives. We're failing to experience the joy of the Lord. We're not knowing what it means to, Father, experience confidence and just hope. And Lord, it's sad to think that we have faith or express faith but we don't have any of the fruit of faith. Now, Lord, help us to have the kind of faith we need so that ultimately we can find that peace and that purpose and the power that we need. And then, Lord, even ultimately pass it down. Help us tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Number one, our faith must be a believing faith. A believing faith. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Turn to Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. Nothing... Uh, nothing, I mean, groundbreaking here. The Bible's just the Bible. It always says the same thing. If anybody tells you that they're teaching, they can teach you something you've never heard and you'll never hear in your life, then let me tell you, they're not teaching the Bible then. The Bible hasn't changed. It's been being taught for years. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Guess what? The Bible's not changing. There's nothing new. Just keep preaching the old truths. Keep them going. Keep it happening. If it was good enough to bring it up to the day in which we live, I promise you what's been taught is good enough to get it to the next thousand years. I don't know why we've got to keep coming up with something new. It sounds to me like the Athens mentality. They sat around the gate looking for something new, to hear something new all the time. And in Christianity, it seems we're looking for something new all the time. We're not satisfied with the old paths. We're not content with the land, old landmarks. We're struggling today. And let's be honest, the reality of it all is that we're just not on altars anymore. Our faith must be a believing faith. Here in, the cha- in chapter uh, 27, verse 1, we come up against uh, the character we meet with uh, um, David here. David, of course, is uh, one of my favorite characters, to be frank with you. I love David. I, I, I find uh, his, you know, his humanity to be um, almost um, comforting to me. To know that he is just a man. He's not some superhero here. Now, he has done some superhero feats. No doubt about that. But he also had the heart of a man. Boy, I'll tell you what, he failed a little bit in his life. And Boy, I take great comfort in that. I know I shouldn't be happy. I'm not saying I'm happy about it. I'm just saying that to think that he wasn't perfect either, but yet God used him the way he did. That's pretty encouraging to me. Notice what he says here in chapter 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Man, you talk about a believing faith. You know, David was being falsely accused. There were, his motives were being questioned. He was on the run for his very life. And yet we see this kind of faith that just was so strong. It was such a believing faith. You know, a believing faith will produce confidence in your life. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the familiar passage, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. One of the most wonderful things is to know we're saved. To know that our salvation is secure. To know that our soul is, soul's future and soul's destination is settled. That's a wonderful truth. And you know, if we're not careful, we lose sight of that in the midst of the world in which we live and in the midst of the activity of which we have. We're busy, 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 and we neglect to remember that we have a salvation that's eternal. And boy, I'll tell you what, we can have a confidence. But not only that, but there's something about a faith that is a believing faith. To know that God is on your side, to know that He's in your corner, to know without a doubt that no matter what comes your way, no matter what obstacle, no matter what difficulty that comes, you have a God in heaven that's on your side and He's in your corner. And there's some, there's a, there's a confidence that comes by that kind of believing faith. Boy, visit the people I visit and hear about the circumstances that they're facing and the, the difficulties that they're going to have to deal with. And you've got to wonder, well, how do you get through it even? I even marvel at times myself. And it's all because of their faith. A believing faith. Knowing that God hasn't abandoned them. God hasn't kicked them out. God hasn't neglected them. That God's still there. No matter how hard it is. No matter how wicked and how sinful the news may be in their mind. Oh my goodness, to hear you've got cancer and it's stage four. Hey, who wants to hear that? Nobody. But there's a believing faith that will enable them to get through it. And I don't know how to get through that now in my life. You say, how would you handle it? I don't know. But I know one thing. God is a God of grace and He'll give it to me when I need it. Not before either, by the way. Not before. I remember hearing a story. Uh, uh, Brother Runyon was telling me about uh, Brother... Um, uh, let's see, which pastor was it? A real, real big time, big name pastor... Uh, at one point, uh, I don't even want to use the guy's name, but nonetheless, he, I, I, if I could remember it, I probably would. But anyway, he was, he was flying, okay? They were flying. And this pastor was talking to him about the fact that all of a sudden, the turbulence kind of picked up, you know? And the plane started to drop out of the air. It hit some kind of pocket and started falling. He said all of a sudden, those masks come popping out of the ceiling, and all of a sudden, everybody started screaming, he said, brother, I just want to tell you right now. I didn't jump up and start witnessing. I was scared to death. And Brother Runyon said to him, well, brother. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm not joking. I was scared to die. I was scared I was going to die. And he said, well, he said, did you? No. Well, then God didn't have to give you the grace to die. It wasn't, he didn't need to get, you didn't need grace to die. I know that sounds crazy and sounds simplistic and you say, that's not what, I'm just saying, I, I think God will give us what we need when we need it. But that's where confidence comes. We have tremendous confidence in a God that we believe in. We know he created the heavens and the earth. I mean, we talk about it, we preach about it, we go through life about it. But let me tell you something, and I'm just going to tell you this. Don't be surprised if sometime in the future, 
Under the right circumstances, you question that. Don't let the devil lie to you like that. Just stop yourself. Back up a second. Look at the big picture and go, wait a second. Why now? I'll tell you why. He's got you on your back. And he decided he's going to choke you out right now. And let me tell you, it ain't going to work. You just say, God, I believed you were there all along. I'm not letting the devil do this to me. I might have, might be medication. It might be the circumstance I'm in. It might be a depression that I'm feeling right now. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, I've always believed and I will continue to. Just hold on to your faith. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Produce, it'll produce confidence. A believing faith will pro- provide comfort for you. In the midst of those difficult times, whether the funerals or the loss of a loved one or friend or possibly even just the loss of a girlfriend or a boyfriend or maybe a wife that left you or a husband that walked out on you, I don't know. Difficult times in your life. Let me tell you, He's the God of all comfort. He says over there in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our, all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's a wonderful thing. The God of all comfort. When you've got the kind of believing faith that you need, I have the kind of believing faith I need, it's a comforting faith. You're not going through it alone now. You've got Him there. And let me tell you something. It's interesting to note too, what's He say about the Spirit of God? He lives in us, right? What's His name? The Comforter. If He's already there, that means we already have the comfort. We've got to allow Him to comfort us. And we say, Lord, I need Your comfort. It's amazing what He can and will do in our lives. He is the Comforter. I'm not saying it won't be tough, and I'm not saying you won't struggle at times. I'm just telling you that it's important that we believe the Word of God, because if it's by faith that we believe it, then it will be a faith that will produce confidence and a faith that will provide comfort. Not only that, it'll, it'll promote constraint in our life. A, a believing faith will promote constraint. Look, if you would, in Psalm chapter 27, verse 14. <clears throat> And then take your, your, your Bible and, and kind of hold your place in Psalm 27. Turn over to Isaiah 40, verse 31. So look at Psalm 27 and then find Isaiah 40. <clears throat> a believing faith. I mean, do you have a confidence? Do you have a comfort? Is there a comfort level? Does your faith bring you that confidence? And bring you that. Listen, I, I, I'm, I, I, I like the attitude of a young man in the ministry that says, man, listen, I'm going to light the world on fire for God. Hold on. I want that. As long as he understands it's God that's going to have to light it. That's all. Why is it all right for our young people to have ambition to be the great lawyer, to be a great doctor, or to make a lot of money in the stock market, but then all of a sudden they want to be a great man of God or a great preacher, and we go... Son, you better put the pride in your pocket. It's arrogance. Sounds to me like David's brothers. When he went to go down to talk to Goliath, and they said, Oh man, you're such a prideful young man. David said, My God's going to whoop him. And I'm going to tell you, if you've got a young man that's saying, God's going to take care of business. We're going to light this city on fire. God's going to do a work. 
And I like that kind of confidence. God's going to restore my marriage. God's going to meet the need of my children. God's going to do a miracle in my life. Hey, listen, those are good things to become. That's what a believing faith will do. It'll provide confidence. It'll provide comfort. And it'll promote constraint. Notice in Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This passage here was probably one of the most important passages in my life for years and years. To me, if you would ask me, what's the Christian life? Here's basically in a nutshell what the Christian life is. A waiting game. It's a waiting game. When we get ahead of God, we got problems. We've got to always wait on the Lord. You've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to wait on the Lord. It's as simple as it is. You've got to do that. Community Baptist Temple today is a direct result of a person or a pastor or actually a man of God at that time that waited on God. The advice around me was, go, go, do, do, go, go, do, do. And I said, no, I'm going to wait, 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 wait. I don't, listen, you say, well, they're pretty arrogant and pretty prideful. It's all about you, huh? I don't know. Let's read the Bible so you can see what I'm preaching here. Is it about me or is it about what God says? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. That's God talking. You know why, why things happen in your life? Because you obey God and you apply His truths. Not because you're so wise or I'm so witty, but because God is. We simply place the Word of God in our heart and apply it to our life. We do what He says, and we get the result that we want. More importantly, we get the result He wants. In most cases, we do want what God wants. How many of you want your kids to be hooked on drugs, die an early death? Nobody in the room wants that. God doesn't either, by the way. How many of you want your kids to live for Satan and turn their back on the church? Nobody in the room wants that. At least I don't think so. I would hope not. God don't want that either. Why don't we follow God's biblical principles of raising our children then? Why do we, why do we not do it exactly like God says to do it? How many of you want your marriage to, to dissolve and fall apart in the next five years? Then how's come we don't follow God's plan? How's come we're trying to do it the way the world does it and get God's result? If you want God's result, you've got to do it God's way. That means you have to have a believing faith. And that faith will provide you with confidence. It will provide you with comfort. And it will provide you with a constraint. It will help you to say, no, I'm going to stop here and wait on God. I'm not going to go ahead. I don't have to move now. I don't have to take the bull by the horns. I don't have to be the one to instigate or initiate. I'm just going to wait on God today. And I promise you, you'll be better off for that. How many times have I said to myself... I'm not going to address an issue. I'm going to let God take care of it. How many times have you done that? How many times have you done that? I hope you've done that a bunch. Because that's how it works. Then God has time to work and move. It's a wonderful thing. A believing faith. And it'll cause constraint. Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But when we begin to wait on the Lord, strength is the result of that. You get stronger when you're waiting on God. 
you would think that the more you work, the more you exercise, the more you put forth effort, you'd get stronger. But really, it's when we rest in Him and allow Him to do His work. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. A believing faith will produce confidence, provide comfort, and promote constraint. But not only that, but not only should our faith be a believing faith, our faith must be a behaving faith. A behaving faith. James chapter 2, verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Romans chapter 2 verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. James chapter 1.22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's pretty clear, isn't it? In the scriptures, the Bible's telling us, boy, we, we need not just a believing faith, we need a behaving faith. It's very important. Again, there's a number of admonitions given in scripture. And boy, I tell you what, genuine faith produces, it produces results in our life. And look if you would in Psalm chapter 1, we'll consider just a couple of real basic things. It'll produce some things in your life. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. I've got to find it myself here. huh? <clears throat> there we go. Notice what it says there in verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now again, there is a progression here, is there not? That's obvious, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see in verse 1 that something's taking place. The man here is not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So he's not supposed to be like this with people, listening to the wrong counsel. Well, wait a second, all of a sudden he stops and he stands now. And the Bible says there, nor standeth in the way of sinners. I guarantee you, if you're walking along the path of life and you're listening to the wrong things, you're getting the wrong advice, before you know it, you'll be standing with the wrong people. It's just the way it is. I guarantee it. I promise you that. It's just the way it works. But what's sad then is this. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now you become exactly what at one point you knew was not right. You become that person that you were listening to that ultimately you hung around with. I mean, that's the progression. We see that. It's, it's obvious. Simple. There's nothing complicated about it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. See, this man, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the God. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. What's the law of the Lord? Does anybody know? What is it? What is it, Chase? What's the law of the Lord? The Word of God, the Bible, that's right. Hey, wait a second. His delight is in the law of the Lord. 
Well, we could spend all night, the rest of the evening, talking about what? Whether or not we delight in the Word of God. Wake up in the morning, we're tired, we're wore out still from the night before, and we go, man, i got to read my Bible. Boy, I'm delighting, aren't I? That's a real delight, boy. You know, and then, then we, we skip on it in the morning, and then we say, man, you know, i got to have to get to it tonight when I get back off work. We get back home, and next thing you know, we're, we're thinking, man, let's see, that, that show's coming on pretty soon that I like, or that, you know, then i got this situation to take place. i got to go here, watch the kids play ball, or whatever. I, and then you go, man, I've got to read my Bible still. And worse, it's even worse when it's like this. I go to work, and then I come home. Uh, that's when it's really gotten bad. When all of a sudden it's not even any kind of battle at all. It just gets to be normal. Well, I don't read my Bible but maybe once or twice a week. I don't study my Bible at all. I haven't memorized a scripture in years. I haven't read a book about Christian living forever. Never bought a book at the bookstore in the last two years. You get where I'm going with this? This man right here in Psalm chapter 1, he delights in this book. He delights in it. <clears throat> Notice what else. He goes on to say, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit, and in his season his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What did we say right off the bat? Faith cometh by what? Hearing, and hearing by the what? That's right. So faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We got a man here who obviously is building faith. Why? Because he delights in the word of God and he meditates on it day and night. This is a man of faith. What does his faith produce then? Well, we see it in verse 3. It produces stability. It produces stability. Notice right off the bat, he says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of waters. The rivers of water. He's, I mean, his roots are growing deep and he is sturdy and he is strong. He's stable. Boy, we need men that are stable. We need women of God that are stable. We need some teenagers that are stable. I mean, to know what they believe, that are rooted deep in the soil of Christianity and the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their doctrine is sound. Their life is sure. I mean, they know where they're going and they know what God expects of them. And they're doing it because they love Him. Not out of duty, but out of delight. They enjoy the work of God. And the work of God not just being a duty. I'm talking about the work of God in your personal life. The greatest work you'll have is your relationship with Christ. Doing that. Working on that relationship. I promise you, burnout is a result of no relationship with the Lord. Don't, don't ever believe that you can work too hard for Jesus. You, if you get in that situation, you became a Martha instead of a Mary. And you're not at the feet of Jesus getting the rest you need. And it's all work, 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 work. And everybody's, everybody's the problem. This is a situation. This is a problem. That's a problem. I don't like it. Martha, 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 Martha. Why are you cumbered about with so many? Let's find Mary and get where she is. You get at the feet of Jesus and all of a sudden everything comes into perspective. 
I'm not going to have a raise of hands, but how many of you just felt like I just looked a minute ago? I've been there plenty. And unfortunately, it seems I get there more often at other times in my life and seasons of my life. And you know what the answer is always? It's always the same answer for me. Come apart, get in that book, get on your knees, spend time with the Lord, extra time. Get away from what everything else. From just get away from. And sometimes it doesn't have to be hour on end, even. But still, over the period a period of time, there needs to be more time spent. There needs to be more emphasis on my walk with God. There needs to be more time in the presence of Christ. And boy, when I get there, then all of a sudden, I realize nothing's that big a deal anymore. Nothing God can't handle, at least. Isn't that what we want? We don't want to ever believe somehow that it's just too big. It's never too big with God. How many of you have ever gotten in the presence of the Lord? And I'm sure maybe all of you have, but I mean, you're going through a tough time. And you get on your knees or you get in that chair, whatever. Some of you can't even get off your knees if you get on it, so you don't do that. But, but you, get, you get with God. And I mean to tell you, all of a sudden, a smile comes on your face. And there's, that burden gets lifted. And while you are there in the throne room of God... It is like the world is a million miles away. And there's not one problem that's itching at you or tickling you. You are just simply at ease. Now listen, let's be honest. When we do that, we're like, wow. I mean, it's an awing experience, you know what I mean? You get up, though, if you're not careful, and it, ain't, it isn't minutes, and you're going, You've got to be careful you don't pick it right back up. But I promise you this, you'll have to get back in the presence again if you want to keep going and leave the burden. He's got to stay with him. It'll offer you stability. I mean, rooted deep. Not only that, strength, as we said here, 3B, he goes on to say, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither. I mean, he's, he's producing something. That tree is rooted so deep that now all of a sudden it's starting to produce. It's, it's growing. It's building. It's becoming stronger. And now leaves are developing. And, and as he puts it here, he says, uh, and, and he's going to uh, bring it forth fruit in a season. That's evidence of life. That's evidence of growth. So you have strength, stability that comes through, a, through, through the, the kind of faith that God would have us to have. It's a faith, it's a behaving faith. When we do the right things and we don't, we live the right way and we, we surrender our lives and we yield ourselves to God and as we said this morning even, willingly present ourselves. Man, all of a sudden, that kind of faith provides us with stability and strength and ultimately success. Notice what it says here. It says, and, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in a season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This guy's on the fast track to success. Not because he has all the plans, not because he's got a great mind, or he has so much talent. He's on fast track because he's doing things God's way. And he's doing things God's way. He doesn't just know what he ought to be doing, he's doing it. I mean, his roots are deep. His faith is growing and it's strong. He himself has a faith that is stabilizing and strong and ultimately yields success in his life. That's, that's a behaving faith. Because that's what behaving faith does. 
Our children in our home. How many of you have taken your kid maybe to a grocery store or possibly over to a family member or friend's house? And after they're done, you're so proud of them because they, they did exactly what you had trained them to do. They sat there quietly. They didn't get up and run around and smash things and break things and throw things at the television set and pick up this and pick up that. And they didn't destroy everything. Now, I'm not talking about a little baby that you're training still. I got one of those grandkids like that now. Terror in the house. Terror. <laughs> but you start to train them and all of a sudden they start to do exactly the way you want it to be done. And let me tell you, you can start pretty early, you know. Hold on. How many times have you taken them and thought, you know what, we're just going to stop and get some ice cream. They made me so proud. And, and you don't go, you, you don't tell them ahead of time because you don't ever get in the habit of, of, of telling kids, if you'll just be good, I'll give you ice cream. You're raising a terrorist. They'll hold you hostage. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself because it'll make your life miserable. But, but, but really, you've been there. You've taken them out and said, guess what, kids? You did such a good job. Daddy and Mommy so proud of you. We're going to get some ice cream, baby. And the kids are like, yeah! And you buy one kid's cone and split it between all four. <laughs> Your turn to lick it. No. <laughs> you know, I'm just joking. You don't do that. You don't do that. Yeah. It breeds success, though. And you watch it and you say, man, it's amazing because they're obeying, they're following, they're doing exactly what they've been taught to do or what they were expected to do. And boy, for them, it pays off. And it'll pay off in their life if they'll do what you tell them and teach them, won't it? My dad used to teach the fifth and sixth graders all the time, and he was big about making choices. He'd say, you know, he'd have a thing on his thing that says... uh, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it had to do with making choices. He'd take those fifth and sixth graders and he'd talk to them about their choices. And he'd say, you know, ultimately, you make the wrong choices, you're going to end up in prison. You make the right choices and boom, 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 it's going to work out. And I know some of you say, that's crazy. Well, everybody, all those kids love my dad. I don't know. They just loved him to death. He talked to them pretty straight, you know. But you know what? It was true. If they obeyed mom and dad. They did what they were taught in the house of God. Things turned out good. And the truth is, for all of us, if we'll just do it God's way, it always turns out the way it ought to. I'm not saying we're not going to have a hurtful heartache in our life. We're not saying that one of our, somebody, something's not going to happen that's going to be tragic, tragic or we're not going to get sick or anything. I'm talking about your life in general. If you do right, it breeds success. So make sure you have a faith that is behaving, a behaving faith, a believing faith, a behaving faith. And finally, we need, our faith must be a bestowing faith, a bestowing faith. That means, uh, let me just say it this way, a faith that bestows a love. There ought to be love. A, a, A faith that bestows a love. And when I talk about love, we know we could turn to John 3.16, couldn't we? You can quote it right now. You could all quote it with me. But, but for God so loved the world, go ahead and do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
John 3.16. Feels like it's VBS all over again. Well, we talk about the love of God. Guess what? It's His love we're to share with others, isn't it? When we have the kind of faith we should have, it's a bestowing faith. A faith that bestows the love of God on people. We tell them about Jesus Christ and we share the gospel with them. But let me tell you this. If you have the kind of faith, a a bestowing faith, it will not just reflect on His love toward the world that's lost. But it will cause you to love the way you should love. Now listen, I I understand everybody has a different idea based on how they were raised, what love is. God outlines and defines what love ought to be. You know, know, somebody might say, love, watch this, I can guarantee you this. There are some people in the room, if I said to you, if I said, what did spanking mean to you? There would be people in this room that would say, it meant my parents loved me. Then there's other people in this room that were raised totally different and would say, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it means they hate me. Or they don't like me. Because they might have been abused even. So, so I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, though, it'll help us to love the Bible way. To show love and compassion to people. And it's interesting, if you take the time to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13... And outline what love really is. Ask yourself after you read chapter 13, do I love? Do I love? Uh, I mean, really, I mean, look at that sometimes. It's amazing what characteristics true love exhibits. So take a look at it sometime. But for sake of time, a faith that bestows a love. It's a faith that sows God's love before the world and that of the gospel. The Apostle Paul was so moved that he said, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Not only that, but it's a faith that bestows a legacy. A bestowing faith is a faith that bestows a legacy. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Look there, if you would, please. And what kind of faith do we have? What kind of faith do we need? Well... You know, we need a believing faith. We need a behaving faith. We need a bestowing faith. And this particular faith here is a faith that bestows a legacy. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We ought to be bestowing that faith to our children. Sharing it. Extending it to. Offering it up to our children. Bestowing our faith. A legacy. Second Timothy chapter three. Turn there if you would. Again, our children. Second Timothy three, fourteen through fifteen. We're certainly grateful for the for the children's ministries that we have here. We're grateful for the bus routes and for all the impact that the, the nurseries have on our children. And by the way, nursery workers are not just babysitters. Let me tell you something. You can hire a babysitter to watch your children, but you cannot necessarily hire someone to love them. If we got any workers in the nursery that don't love kids, get out now. Because I don't want our kids growing up not knowing what love is around here. It's right where it all begins in the nurseries. The nurseries are so important because they teach God's love right off the bat to kids. They get brought into God's house. They get placed in a, a little crib. Somebody's holding them and hugging on them and caring over, you know, making over them. 
Then they move from that to that little crawling stage and you're down on the floor playing with them and having a good time with them. They get up there as toddlers and they're running around and they're going crazy and you're over here throwing that ball back and forth or you're over here having a good time playing a little game with them or doing something, playing a little tag with them or something in the nurseries. I hope that kind of stuff is going on. I assume it is. I mean, workers aren't on their phones and workers aren't worried about their life and workers aren't just gossiping and talking to each other. Workers in our nurseries are loving your children. And let me tell you something, that matters. That matters. And it goes right up into our Sunday schools. A teacher that's willing to put forth effort during the week and learn a lesson and memorize some scripture and get to the place where they can not just read a script, but that they can actually teach the lesson from their own experience in their own life and biblically lay it out and outline it without having to look at it every five seconds. And that takes effort and it takes work, but that's evidence of love. Take time to decorate their rooms and to ultimately give pass out, uh, pass, pass out some things or have little promotions in their classroom that they pay for at their own expense. That's because they love them. Moves right on up into our teen group. We've got leaders there and workers there in our, with our teenagers that care about the kids. They love the kids. They're genuinely interested in what's going on in their lives and want to help them. I mean, it is a, it, it's a faith that leaves a legacy. A legacy of love to our children. Not just in our own homes, but also in the lives of others. It says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, of, learned and hast been assured, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Boy, Timothy had a legacy of faith being passed down to him. And, I mean, what a wonderful faith. A bestowed faith. Not only that, but we need that bestowed faith. That A faith that bestows a legacy to converts. We're winning people. We're reaching out. We're telling others about Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this bestowing faith, this, this faith is leaving a legacy to those people that we share the gospel with. In 2018, let me ask you, do you have any goals about how many people you'll lead to Christ? Have you given it any thought at all? Have you thought to yourself, you know what, by the end of 2018, I want to have not only shared the gospel, but I want to see so many people literally accept and receive Christ as a result of my personal efforts in their life? Is it one? Is it two? Is it five? Is it ten? Is it twenty? What's your goal of leaving a legacy to converts? A legacy of faith. Second Timothy 3.10 But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Boy, that faith that we have is exhibited before those converts and they come to Christ and then they see our lives and then we have the privilege of discipling and helping them. Somebody asked me the other day, they asked me, they said, what's the most rewarding aspect of the ministry to you? That's a great question. 
I don't even think I told them what they thought they would hear, to be frank with you. And normally you'd think a preacher would say, preaching the Word of God. That's not what I said. I said it was discipling new converts. It gives me the biggest thrill of all. To take those little doctrinal booklets and go through them with somebody that has a hunger for God's Word. Now, it could be the most frustrating thing in the ministry, too, when you've got people that aren't willing to put any effort into it. But boy, if they're willing to put forth effort, and I'm going to tell you something, there is nothing like discipling someone. So rewarding. Leaving a legacy of faith to those converts. And then finally, our country. I mean, you think about leaving a legacy of of faith, of bestowing faith to our country. Offering it to our country. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Boy, how we need the world, this country that we live in, needs to see a faith. A faith that we talked about already. I mean a believing faith. I, I, I mean a faith that is a behaving faith. And finally, that it provides us the platform to have a bestowing faith. There's no real belief There's no real behaving. Then there's no way that you can possibly bestow your faith to others. Because it is your platform. Your believing faith and your behaving faith are your credentials. They give you a platform by which to speak. May God help us to have the kind of faith that we ought to have. I mean, what kind of faith do you possess? If you evaluate your own life here, do you have a believing faith? And, and again, when we talk about that believing faith, we said a faith that produces confidence and provides comfort and promotes constraint in your life. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you, do you have a behaving faith? You know, that faith that provides you with stability and strength and success ultimately. You, do you see God's hand of success in your life? Doing it His way and ultimately it's providing some tremendous blessings in your life, your family, your home, your marriage. And then finally, have you gotten to the place now that you have that believing faith and that, bestowing, that, that, that behaving faith that now you have a bestowing faith? Who will you share the gospel with? Who will you leave a legacy with? For sure we want to leave that with our families. But what about others on the outside? What will you do? What kind of faith will you have? And if it's not the kind it ought to be, why don't we do something about it this year? Why don't we allow it to start today? Father, we come to you. We thank you again just for the simple lesson that we've been